From the garden level of Harvard Medical School's historic Vanderbilt Hall in Boston, this is Think Research, a podcast that discusses the stories behind medical research. I'm Abby, your host. Think Research is brought to you by Harvard Catalyst, Harvard University's Clinical and Translational Science Center. In children with epilepsy, the first line of treatment is anti-epileptic drugs. However, when 30% of patients have drug-resistant epilepsy, they must turn elsewhere. To reach seizure freedom with minimal functional deficits, a two-phase process guides neurosurgeons through the brain for the best outcomes. Boston Children's Hospital is home to one of the few pediatric MEG systems in the world. Dr. Christos Papadelis uses this technology to safely identify epileptogenic zones before surgery. Christos Papadelis is an assistant professor of pediatrics at Harvard Medical School and head of the Children's Brain Dynamics Laboratory in the Division of Newborn Medicine at Boston Children's Hospital. Welcome to the show, Dr. Papadelis. It's a great pleasure. You study epilepsy in children. Can you describe what epilepsy is? Epilepsy is a brain disorder that causes seizures, and when we're talking about seizures, we don't refer to transient phenomenon like uh, febrile seizures that are caused by high fever. Uh, We refer to persistent uh, and reoccurring episodes of uh, seizures that uh, uh, occur either uh, weekly or monthly or in a daily basis, and they affect significantly the life of the child or the adult. Uh, The underlying etiology is often a brain injury, uh, like a tumor uh, or um, a stroke or a cortical dysplasia in the brain of the patient. Uh, in many patients, uh, the underlying etiology is a kind of infection of the central nervous system uh, or a genetic disorder, uh, but in many cases, the uh, un- underlying etiology is unknown. Um, it's important to say that it, uh, epilepsy is a quite common disorder in both adults and children. Uh, they, uh, compared to other neurological disorders, for example, epilepsy is more common than cerebral palsy, uh, muscular dystrophy, multiple sclerosis, and f- uh, cystic fibrosis altogether. So, um, according to the uh, CDC recent data, uh, there are more Americans living with epilepsy nowadays than ever before. So, it has been estimated that there are approximately 2.5 to 3 million patients with epilepsy in the United States right now. So, we have a quite common disorder uh, that affects significantly also the life of the patient. Um, if uh, epilepsy, uh, if you let epilepsy untreated, then uh, this can have uh, severe consequences to the life of the patient, uh, especially in the children can uh, cause uh, developmental delay uh, or brain damage or even death, uh, like a situation where we have uh, Uh, uncontrolled seizures, uh, like in status epilepticus. So it's important that epilepsy, it is treated. Mm. How is epilepsy diagnosed? So um, the the diagnosis of epilepsy is not straightforward. So this doesn't mean that you will go to the office of the the doctor and you will get the diagnosis of epilepsy. So uh, usually uh, the epileptologist, they will refer to uh, the patient to many uh, different uh, tests. The most common test that um, diagnosed epilepsy is called electroencephalography or EEG. So with the EEG, we uh, place on the scalp of the patients uh, uh, a number of electrodes and non-invasively we are able to identify 
patterns on the EEG signal that uh, are characteristic uh, uh, for abnormalities for epileptogenic activity. So by using this kind of test, uh, the doctors, they are able to diagnose epilepsy, but also there are other tests like MRI for the brain um, in order to identify any kind of anatomical abnormality in the brain or even blood tests in case of genetic uh, disorder or um, in case of an infection. Um, you mentioned needing to seek treatment for epilepsy. How is it currently treated? The first line of treatment in epilepsy is by using anti-epileptic drugs. Uh, there are more than 20 uh, anti-epileptic medications right now that are uh, able to uh, control the seizures, and this happens in approximately 7% of the patients. So 70% of the patients are able to control their seizures by using anti-epileptic drugs. Can you describe your research on children with epilepsy? Mm -hmm. So despite the fact that we have the development of many anti-epileptic drugs uh, the last few years, uh, there's the percentage of patients who are unable to control their seizures with anti-epileptic medications is, remains constant. Uh, so there's approximately 30% uh, of patients who suffer what is called drug-resistant epilepsy. Uh, that is defined according to the International League Against Epilepsy uh, as the uh, failure of the patient to control uh, their seizures with antiepileptic drugs after the adequate trials of at least two um, uh, antiepileptic medications. Um, and in this case, the most promising and best treatment uh, is the resected surgery of the area that generates the, the seizures. And the goal of this resective surgery is to uh, the, to achieve a, a status of uh, seizure freedom with minimal uh, functional deficits. So this means that after surgery, the patient should uh, be seizure-free, but at the same time should be able to uh, talk, communicate, understand language, uh, move his legs, move his uh, hands, uh, or he has no sensory deficits. Uh, in order to do that, we need to identify in the brain of the patient uh, an area that is called epileptogenic zone. This is the area that is indispensable for the generation of the seizures. However, there are no uh, tools or methods that directly identify uh, this kind of area in the brain. Um, so, and in, in, in many cases, uh, we need a bunch of uh, neuroimaging non-invasive methods that identify this area of the brain indirectly through concurrent data. However, the results of this, of this test, they are not always uh, concordant or uh, they are inconclusive in many cases. And um, this is, the, this is the, where my role uh, comes into the game uh, because I try to uh, develop uh, biomarkers of epilepsy that identify this epileptogenic uh, area in the brain uh, with high specificity and sensitivity. One of my main research goals is to uh, develop a biomarker that can identify this epileptogenic zone with a non-invasive uh, method before the patient goes to surgery. Uh, and scientists, they have recently um, uh, identify a high epileptogenic uh, signature in the EEG signal of the patients with epilepsy that's called high-frequency oscillations. Uh, these oscillations, they are above uh, 80 hertz, and it's difficult to be detected non-invasively. 
So in my lab, we have identified and localized for the first time these high-frequency oscillations, very weak high-frequency oscillations from the brain of children with uh, drug-resistant epilepsy by using simultaneously EEG recordings uh, with another neuromagic technique called magnencephalography or MEG. And uh, in Boston Children's Hospital, we are lucky enough to have access to one of the very few uh, pediatric uh, magnetoencephalographic systems in the world that uh, are able to identify this kind of activity with high precision and sensitivity. The pre-surgical evaluation of the patient with drug-resistant epilepsy takes place in two stages. During stage one, uh, we use a bunch of uh, non-invasive neuroimaging tests to assess uh, non-invasively the epileptogenic zone in the patient. And by using this information, we're able to guide the placement of invasive electrodes during what is called phase two. Uh, during this stage of phase two, uh, we perform surgery, surgery to the patient. We either open the scalp and then we place electrodes directly on the cortex, or we open small holes on the scalp and then we place stereotoxic EEG electrodes. And by using these techniques, we are able to identify the epileptogenic zone with high precision and sensitivity. But the development of a non-invasive tool to do that will be really beneficial for the patient because it will guide the placement of the invasive electrodes, but in addition to that also will uh, provide uh, good, will improve the surgical outcome of the patient because it will give to the patient the opportunity to have minimal invasive surgery. So how does this process improve treatment of patients with epilepsy? So it improves the treatment of patients with epilepsy because it will guide better okay. the uh, surgical placement of the uh, invasive electrodes and uh, will minimize all the risks that are associated with the invasive recordings. For example, risk for infection or even damage to the, to the cortex. Uh, so we expect and we have seen that, that this kind of non-invasive assessment of the patients improves their final surgical outcome. You also study cerebral palsy. Could you talk about its connection with epilepsy? Mm -hmm. So many children with epilepsy, they have also cerebral palsy. Uh, cerebral palsy is an umbrella term that describes a group of uh, uh, disorders of development of motor and, and posture. Uh, it's a quite common uh, uh, neurological disorder. It's the most common uh, motor disorder in children. The underlying etiology of cerebral palsy, it's a brain uh, injury that takes place uh, either prenatally, especially during the third trimester in pregnancy, or uh, perinatally during uh, birth. And uh, the main feature of cerebral palsy is some kind of motor deficits that affects their walking abilities or their uh, motor skills of their upper extremities. Um, and um, more than 50% of the kids with cerebral palsy, they are not uh, able to walk with no with any kind of walk aid. 25% uh, of these kids, they are not able to walk at all. And 30% of these kids, they have some kind of uh, uh, mental disability. Could you talk about your imaging approach with cerebral palsy? Mm -hmm. So um, the research uh, we perform in children with cerebral palsy, uh, it's about mapping the somatosensory and the motor cortex in their brain. So what we're trying to do is by combining findings from different neuroimaging techniques, we try to uh, 
monitor changes in the brain plasticity of of their brain in response to uh, uh, tactile stimuli or hand movements. And by doing that, we are able to uh, develop uh, sensitive biomarkers that uh, are able to help us monitor changes in their brain uh, as a result of therapy, for example, after robotic therapy or rehabilitation. And this is particularly interesting and uh, important for very young kids because in these young ages, it's very difficult to assess uh, how efficient is the treatment in, this, uh, in these young kids. Because in young kids, like uh, the tools we have right now to assess the improvement of the motor uh, is not very precise. So when you have a child who is older, uh, then you can assess his um, motor abilities uh, in, a, in a nice quantitative way. But when you have a child that is one year old or, to, or a toddler, it's really difficult to, uh, to be sure whether the child gives significant improvement as a result of the therapy or not. So we, we don't have enough behavioral tools to assess nicely the motor skills in the very young ages. And that's why a biomarker is really important because... Uh, you know what's going on directly into the brain, and then by uh, doing that, you know whether the child uh, corresponds nicely to the treatment or not. The baby meg was recently uh, approved by FDA for clinical use, uh, especially in children with epilepsy. And then we performed our first uh, clinical meg recording last week in a child with uh, drug-resistant epilepsy. It was a, uh, a young boy from Saudi Arabia with a rare genetic disorder called tuberous sclerosis complex. Uh, in, this, uh, in this disorder, uh, there are many tubers in the brain of these children. And then the task we have is to identify which tuber is the most epileptogenic in order to be resected and the child to be seizure-free. So we perform this recording successfully, and then we identify in this patient uh, a couple of tubers that they were candidates for being resected. And we provide this data to the epileptologists and the uh, neurosurgeon. Uh, as far as I know, the child will go to surgery next week, and uh, we hope that he will have a good surgical outcome. So I see the future uh, that more um, advanced tools that will be used, especially in the clinical care of this kind of very young kids, because it's really uh, important epilepsy surgery to be performed in life, because like it has significant developmental and cognitive benefits uh, and can improve the significant the life of the child in long term uh, because the brain has high plasticity in these young ages. So if you resect the area of the brain in young age, the child will be able to perform nicely late, later. Um, so this is important, especially nowadays, because like you don't see many resective surgeries in these very young ages. But we have now better tools and better procedures in order to perform the surgery and then help more kids in the future. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Papadilis. It's been great to have this conversation with you. It was a great pleasure. Next time on Think Research. If you can actually determine how the brain is different when someone is symptomatic, like when they're depressed or symptomatic and manic or asymptomatic and euthymic, you know, in a place of wellness, if you can tell how these things are different from each other, maybe you can use that information to basically inform a treatment. Hear from Dr. Roscoe Brady about how he uses imaging to improve the lives of people with bipolar disorder and schizophrenia. 
Harvard Catalyst Think Research is supported by NCATS, the National Center for Advancing Translational Sciences. Subscribe to Think Research on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. To find out more about our podcast or suggest topics for future episodes, visit our website, www.catalyst.harvard.edu/thinkresearch. Thank you.